Welcome to Practical Christian Living. If your hands are dropping down and your knees are wobbly and you're, you're, you're falling back and you're fading in this race and you feel like, I, I'm just going to quit. I just want to go to a movie. I just want to go to bed. I just want to watch, you know, whatever before I go to bed. I just want to get up and have my coffee and watch a morning show. I don't want to do the spiritual things anymore. Hey, talk to yourself. Pull yourself together. Are you growing weary in the race of faith? God's got you. He can strengthen you. Go find some spiritual workout partners to help lift you up. It's good fellowship, discipleship, and encouragement. And ask God to help get you back in the race. He is willing and waiting to help. With Hebrews 12, verses 12 through 17, here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. Father, we do want to thank you for your word. It really is rich. The waters of your word run deep. And the, the more we dive in, the deeper we discover that they are. We remember that your word says that flowers fade and grass withers, but your word remains forever. And if a, if a good man has a strong word and we can trust the word of a good man, how much more can we trust your word, God, who you are the king of righteousness, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And when you say something in your word, it counts. We take time now to study these verses and we pray that your Holy Spirit would reach out and speak to us. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The title of our message today is A Prescription for Spiritual Health. And that's what the text is talking about today, how you can be healthy spiritually. More specifically, for those of you that are really not healthy, for those of you that are lame, in fact, this passage is going to call some lame, for those of you who are lame and you are about to have certain things in your life dislocated, God would that you would reevaluate where you are spiritually so that you can be healed. Just like as I look around this room, some of you guys are really in fit. Some of you guys are in good shape. Some of you guys may be even athletes. Others of you may be struggling physically. There may be problems. There may be difficulties. There may be diseases that you're struggling with and your health may be suffering because of that. Well, the same is true spiritually. In this room, there are those of you who are strong spiritually. You're healthy. You've paid attention to spiritual things and you are now being used by God. Not only are you healthy in your own spiritual life, but you're helping others to get healthy in their spiritual life as well. And that's good. But there's also some of you here and you're not healthy spiritually. You're struggling. In fact, if we could see you spiritually, we would think you are on life supports. Well, this text is written to a group of people, the Hebrews, that are on spiritual life support. They need to pull it together and they need to get healthy. And so now the writer of Hebrews, which is written to Hebrews, right? I, I love what Donald Barnhouse says. Donald Barnhouse was the pastor of the 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. He said of the book of Hebrews that Hebrews was written to Hebrews to let the Hebrews know that they don't have to be Hebrews anymore. That's a good way to wrap it up. They are Jewish people by religion and they have found Jesus. And they've been set free, finding him as their Messiah, but they have gone back into Judaism. They've gotten tired of running the race with Jesus. Their hands have begun to drop. Their knees have begun to wobble. They don't want to pray anymore. They don't want to read their Bible anymore. They don't want to see God anymore. They don't want to be used by God anymore. They're just worn out. 
Now, maybe some of you are in that exact place. You're just worn out. That is a perfect fit for you. You say, you know, I just want to watch, I don't know, I just want to watch TV. I just want to go to a movie. I just want to hang out at my house. I want to have a barbecue. I don't want to have to worry about praying at night or reading my Bible or going to church. I want to sleep in. That's the beauty of this service. You can sleep in and still go to church. (laughs) But you're just kind of wore out. Now, I want to say to the dads that are here, I heard Dr. James Dobson from Focus on the Family was his radio program. When he was talking to fathers on a Father's Day, he said a couple of things to them that really resonated with me. One of the things that he said was that if you have a little girl in your life, the best thing that you can do for her is let her know how beautiful she is, hug her, love her, kiss her every day, let her know what a real relationship with a man is about, and when she's older, she won't find herself entangled in a wrong relationship. Many girls at 13 and 14, 15 years old get entangled in a wrong relationship because their fathers haven't given them the attention that they needed. And I think that that's true. And I think there's nothing better you can do for your kids or few things better you can do for your little girls especially than let them know that they're dad's little princess, that they are gorgeous, they're beautiful, compliment them often, love them often, and they'll get that affection from you and won't seek it from someplace else. Now, something else he said was that the best thing that a dad can do for his kids is to love their mother. And I want to say this first of all, I like that concept. I like the idea of a dad wanting to bless his kids, so demonstrating more love towards his wife. Because he knows that if these kids can see an open relationship and a relationship that develops love and and shows that love, that those kids are really going to be blessed. And I think that that's a good thought. It's a good idea. And I don't want to be nitpicky, but I'm going to be. I don't know if that's the best thing that you can do. It's a good thing, right? I I like the idea. I think it's awesome. But I believe the best thing that you can do for your kids is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. No matter where you're at, whether you're older, whether you're younger, whether you think you're past the years of influence towards your children, the best thing that you can do for them is to to hang out with Jesus. The same thing is true for those of you that have young little kids. Don't think walking with Jesus is for me later on. These are their most influential years for you. A five, six-year-old wants to be like you. I don't know why he wants to be like you, but he does. I don't know why my kids wanted to be like me. They used to put on my shoes, my boys. They'd put on my shirt or my coat and they would try to walk like I walk, wanting to be like me. And it's something special. They see that and they lose that in time. When they're six years old, there's no bigger hero than your dad. And when they're 16 years old, there's no bigger zero than your dad. (laughs) Right? I mean, that's just truth. When you're six, you're the greatest guy around. When you're 16, you're the biggest idiot that's out there. Mark Twain made a comment or a quote on that particular truth that uh, you are something special to a 60-year-old and, and when you, by the time you get 14, that's the age he uses here, your dads don't really mean anything. Here's what Mark Twain said. When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I was 21 years old, I was astonished at how much my dad learned in seven years. <laughs> That's a good thought, isn't it? I um, was able to have dinner last night with my oldest son. And as we sat there, he was asking me some questions about things in his life and some things that he thought, what do you think I should do here? And what do you think I should do there? And uh, now my oldest boy was our hardest child to raise, not because he did anything bad. I mean, he did. He told me later that he did things. I didn't know he did them at the time. And I wish I didn't know now, but 
He finally fessed up to some things, but I didn't know about him then. We never really had any major problems with him, except that Dave had the biggest attitude in the world. He was just, he just made life difficult and tough. And for him to be sitting there at 26 years old saying, Dad, what do you think about this? And what should I do here? Just some very basic things. But I was really blessed with that. Listen, that's the case. You might have teenagers now and you may think, boy, what, the way I live and what I do, they don't care. I have a friend of mine, you guys know him, Scott Richards from Calvary Christian Fellowship, the pastor of the, another Calvary here in town. And Scott says that when his kids come home with phrases that he doesn't like, that he'll start using them. Because the kids will go, that's the biggest geek in the world, Dad. I can't believe you're doing that. He says, they'll stop using the phrase if he starts using it. It's just kind of the way he's kind of used that reverse psychology thing on his kids. David Rosales, who's a Calvary Chapel pastor, his son, this is years ago now, his son was a kid during the time when big pants were in. Remember when kids were wearing just huge pants? And his son, who was, you know, like normally would wear like a 32, had a size 50 pants that he would wear. And he'd have to wad them up and hold them. And that was all part of the shtick, right? They'd put wad the pants up and hold them. They'd be like, they had their big pants on. It was the cool thing. They couldn't hold them up. They were gone, right? So his son came home and David Rosales had the pants on. He put his kid's pants on. He had it then. He was standing there like this. And he goes, Dad, you look ridiculous. And David Rosales goes, bingo. It's <laughs> exactly what I'm saying to you, okay? Now, I just want to encourage you, if your kids, I mean, if they're young and they are thinking you're the greatest person in the world, there's no better time to show them that a real man loves Jesus and that you can love Jesus and be sold out, that you can be a man that gets on their knees and prays and talks to them about the Bible. It'll make a difference in their lives in the years to come. And if your kids are teenagers and they want to get as far away from you as they possibly can, understand that that'll all change as well. That's just part of what God's given them. They want to spread their wings and fly on their own and get away from mom and dad. But that affection will be reunited again if you don't have older kids. If you have older kids, you understand that, right? If you don't have older kids now, no, it's coming, all right? Be faithful love Jesus, and God will really, really work. Now, here in our text, again, look at verse 13. That's not where we start, but I just want you to get the idea of what the text is about. It says, and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. That is the heart of this passage. God wants you to correct some things if you are spiritually unhealthy, so that which is lame will not be dislocated, that's never a pleasant thought, is it? Something that's dislocated is incredibly painful. Spiritually, God wants those things that are about to be dislocated in your life to be healed. God wants you to love him, to follow him, to be sold out for him. You and I have been given a call. There is a cause. Christianity is not just some kind of self-help movement. It's not all about you inviting Jesus into your life so you can make your life better. I know some people have come to Christ for those reasons, but you need to know that's not what it's about. When you give your life to Jesus, when you lay your life on the line, you join a cause. And that cause is the souls of men and women who are perishing. And God is now going to use you to shine as a light, as salt in the middle of a corrupt world. And if we're going to do that, we need to be spiritually healthy. Because if we're not, if you and I care about going out and getting drunk or some sexual thing or we're just living for ourselves and for our pleasure and for secular things, for things of this world, then they're not going to see Christ in you, the hope of glory. But if you're living for him and if you've prioritized the things of God in your life, then your life is going to shine. God's not only going to pour his grace upon you, but God's spirit is going to flow from you and through you and out into the world around you if you live for God the way you should. 
So he says to those who are lame, those that are about to be, have things go out of joint, he says in verse 12, therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. He's continuing on the illustration of a race. He said it in verses 1 and 2, run the race that God has given you with endurance. And now he says, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. You just don't want to picture someone standing there with hands hanging down. They're so exhausted and their knees are wobbly. Think of a runner who's running and they're so exhausted they feel like they can't run anymore. The idea is of a Christian who's just saying, I don't want to read my Bible anymore. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to do what I... That's the guy whose hands aren't in the proper place. See, if you run, if you run a marathon, if you've ran a marathon, then you know this is true. There's not a person who runs a marathon that doesn't hit the wall. The wall is when you feel like I can't run anymore. If you do some reading and studying on marathons, there comes a point in a race where a lot of people will take their shoes off and run barefoot because their shoes have blistered and bloodied their feet. And I think when I read that, and I think, okay, I'm in a marathon and my feet have blistered to the point where they've broken and now they're bloody and I'm gonna take my shoes off and run barefoot, that's when I quit, okay? <laughs> Finishing the marathon, I mean, I'm not gonna win. Finishing the marathon isn't enough to me to continue to press on, but there are people who do it. And there are thousands of them that do it. They push on to finish that race even though they feel like they can't take another step. When you run, you know your upper body is extremely important for running. Your hands, your upper body is strong. And when you get in rhythm and your hands are, are held in the right place and there's not a lot of flailing going on, then your upper body gets in rhythm and your lower body follows. The strength of your upper body actually helps you run. When you begin to get tired, you begin to flail. When you start to flail, your upper body gets out of sync and now fights your legs. Rather than helping you run because everything's efficient and together, it fights against it and it makes it more difficult to run. That's what he's saying. There's some Christians around us and your hands are flailing, they're falling down, your knees are wobbly and you feel like you can't go on anymore and you need to strengthen those hands and those knees. Now here's the question. How do you do that? If you're in a race and you're running and your hands start to drop and your knees start to wobble, how do you strengthen them? Well, I have a couple of thoughts. First of all, you can do more than you think you can do. When you think I'm done and I can't go on anymore, usually you can go on a lot more. Usually it's the case with working out. I've worked out for a lot of years. and I, I do what's called supersetting. You guys remember this? It was a fad from the 80s. And I like supersetting because you take two parts of your body, like your chest and your tries. They're kind of connected. Both of them are pushing. You push with your chest. You push with your tries to work them out your back and your buys are pulling exercises. And so supersetting, you go and you do your chest and then you go and you work out your tries and you don't take a break in between them. So if you ever see me at the gym, I need to change it, but this is what I still do 30 years later. I run back and forth, I almost running, right? Got my earphones in, I go over here and I work out my chest and then I go over and I do this. And you do one exercise after another, so you tear down that part of your body. So it's kind of supposed to work together. Then the next day you do pulling and the next day you do legs and shoulders or, or, or whatever it is. So years ago, I lifted more weight. As I've gotten older, I'm lifting less weight. Now that's not because I can't do what I did when I was younger, by the way. <laughs> I can still curl the same amount. I can still bench the same amount. I used to bench when I was younger. I just don't want to. There it says, come a point in my life where I've said, 
why do I want to do eight reps with all of this weight when I can do 12 with less weight, okay? So I'm there working at the gym and I'm doing my supersetting and I'm doing bench. It's a machine that I'm doing, but I'm doing for chest. And my son comes in, my older boy, and he sees me and Hey, you want to work out? I said, yeah, I'd love to. What are you going to do? And he said, oh, I can do chest and, and tries with you. So I said, let's do it. So I finished doing my set and I get up off the machine and he sets down. He's going to do it now. And he leaves it where I had it. He goes, what is this? <laughs> and he adds weight to it and then he does his set. So then we go over and we do tries and I come back. And what's happened now is that my competitive juices have gotten flowing gonna let my boy outlift me are you kidding me I can lift as much as he can lift. now the truth is Dave's a big boy and I can't bench as much as he can bench but I wasn't gonna let him know that all right so I sat down he went to go change it and I said no just leave it and I sat down I lifted what he lifted and you know what the crazy thing is it was easier for me to lift that then because I'd been challenged than it was when no one was there when I first sat down with the initial weight, it was like, oh, ow, oh, ow, oh, ow, oh, oh, ow, oh, ow. But once I was encouraged by his mocking, all of a sudden I could do a lot more than I thought. In other words, folks, if your hands are dropping down and your knees are wobbly and you're, you're, you're falling back and you're fading in this race and you feel like I, I'm just going to quit, I just want to go to a movie, I just want to go to bed, I just want to watch, you know, whatever before I go to bed, I just want to get up and have my coffee and watch a morning show, I don't want to do the spiritual things anymore, hey, talk to yourself, pull yourself together, give yourself a John Wayne talk, what are you wimping out for? Stay with it, pilgrim. Hang in there. Get your hands up, your knees stronger. I think that if you really will say to yourself, you know what? There is something very important on the line here, and I need to not fade spiritually. If your hands are falling down and your knees, strengthen them. You can do more than what you think. And the Bible even says God won't give you more than what you can handle. Get back in the race. I think there's another thought too. We can help one another. When you work out with somebody, you're able to do more weight. It just is what happens. In fact, if you're wanting to get big, find someone who's bigger than you. Find somebody who's already done it. If you want to work out and get big, if you want to be a bodybuilder, don't go find some skinny person to go work out with you, okay? Because you're probably not going to get there. But find somebody who's already done it. And don't take the steroids, by the way. Not, not that they aren't going to work, because they will work. You just pay for it later on in life, all right? Just work out and do that. The same is true with anything, really. You want to be a, tennis, a good tennis player? Find somebody who's better than you. You can go out and whip somebody if you want to, but if you're playing someone better than you, then it's going to elevate your game. You'll become better. Same is true with Christ. Find someone to fellowship with who loves Jesus as much as you do, maybe more. Find someone who's doing it. Find somebody who's effective in the ministry and make a relationship with them. Find somebody that Christ brings into your life that your hands can be strengthened and that you guys can run together and spur one another on to godly works. Then you can say, come on, get back in the race. What are you doing? I have friends like that. Pat Lazovich is a friend of mine. He's the pastor of Calvary Chapel in Sierra Vista. I was at a conference with him last week. In fact, I was there with Eric Souza and Pat Lazovich. You know Eric, right? He used to be on staff here, and he now has a Calvary in, um, in Jacksonville, Florida. So me and Eric, I have a tendency to copy people, kind of like, and so there's a guy speaking at the conference, and he has certain phrases that he uses, certain ways that he teaches. We all do, by the way. I do that. One of the things that I do is I'll throw my shoulder around. One time my youngest son said to me, what is this, Dad? 
You do it like a hundred times every message. Hey, open up your Bibles with me too. That, that, so, you know. That's the kind of thing that I was doing, but I wasn't doing it about myself. I was doing it about somebody else. And me and Eric kind of feed off of each other. And so once I started mimicking this guy, Eric started mimicking him, and then we were going to town. And we're driving down the road, and Pat's in the passenger seat, and Eric's in the back, and I'm looking at Eric, and we're doing our thing. And Pat finally goes, shut up. <laughs> got to understand, he's Serbian. He's got that, that uh, Shrek thing going on. Shut up. Get out of my swamp. He says, why are you mocking this guy? And I go, oh, no, I'm not mocking him. It's respectful. <laughs> I'm making fun of him respectfully. It's not mocking. But then as we realize that we are kind of making fun of this guy, we need people who can call us to account when things get a little weird. Now, that's kind of a light idea of that, but we need that. People who will spur us on to good works. Now, the second thing it says here is, and make straight the paths of your feet so that that which is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. You're going to win a race. You're going to run in a straight line. If you got a guy whose hands have fallen down, his knees are wobbly, and now he's all over the track, he's running and he's wobbling back and forth, you know that guy isn't going to win. The guy that's going to win is the guy that's still got his eyes set on the prize, he's still watching the sideline, and he's running as straight as he possibly can. Some of us, we're just wobbly. Some of us, we're over here for this and we're over here for that. We've gotten caught up in this and we've gotten caught up in that. Maybe it's sin, maybe it's not, but we're just not running an efficient race. We're not having a straight line. I love the proverb that says, put your eyes straight in front of you. Don't look to the left and don't look to the right, but look straight ahead. Hey, put your eyes on Jesus. Understand the call, the cause, the importance of what we do and run a straight race. And if you've gotten involved in something else, whether it's sinful or whether it's just something that is, is slowing you down, then lay those weights aside that you can run swiftly. And then he says in verse 14, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Peace with all people and holiness to God without which no one will see the Lord. He's not just saying that you won't see God. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say pursue peace with everybody and holiness with which you won't see the Lord. It says pursue peace and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. In other words, follow this folks. If you don't have peace with the people in your life and things right with God, because holiness isn't about you being holy, it's about the righteousness of Christ that is given to you and then you being sanctified and set apart by him. The holiness becomes practical in our lives, but first of all, it is positional with Christ. And so you make things right with people, the peace with all men and holiness with God, and then people see your life and see God in you. Because without peace with everyone and without holiness with God, people aren't going to see Christ in your life. Your life won't reflect them. Make things right with God. If you're not right with Him today, if there's some sin in your life, if you've got some unconfessed, unrepentant sin, you've settled into to a drunkenness or you've settled into some lust or some pornography or some relationship that is ungodly, that is inappropriate, and you've settled into that and you know it's wrong, and maybe it's something else that I haven't even listed, but you know it, and it's keeping you from God, at this moment, all you need to do is pray sincerely, God, forgive me. I am sorry. Not just going through the motions, but meaning it, and God will forgive you now. You will be holy now. Isn't that great? I don't gotta go out and do, you know, five or six weeks of good works in order to be holy. 
I can be holy the moment I ask him to forgive me. And you know what I find out? When I know positionally that I'm holy, it helps me to walk holy. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on KGUN 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.